You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, Mark Dykton has already done his routine of closing the blinds for the window that blinds him, but leaving it wide open for Kevin and I's retinas to scorch. Your turn. Your back is turned. Your retinas are fine. Okay. And mine? Also, um, yeah, you're okay. You're off in the distance. Yeah. <laughs> Kev, you're in the shadow realm. Studio Kevin, you uh, you said something interesting about Anthony Richardson, and this is going to be a topic of conversation. I have a feeling that you know we're going to watch closely, especially during camp. But where do you stand now in terms of if you were to guess or prognosticate what the date's going to be when they hand the keys over to him? Well, I, I I still think it should be week one, and I think it will be week one. Um, I don't say the last part in that I think it will be week one based off any sort of like, hey, this is what I'm hearing internally exiting the spring. I say that more off of what my eyes saw over the last month or so that the Colts had those open practices. And again, we will get more concrete information once July 25th, 26th rolls around into the month of August of, okay, how do reps look on consecutive practice days, et cetera, et cetera. But what I just saw in the spring is I saw very little separation between the two quarterbacks in Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson. And Jake, if you are going to go the Minshew route, I think one of the few reasons why you would go that route is because you feel like there is this massive separation between where the two guys are at come September 12th, 2023. If you just think, guys, Gardner Minshew has, whatever, 15, 20 starts in his NFL career, and you watch the two on the practice field, and they are light years apart. That, to me, would be one of the few and potentially only reasons why you would do that. And I watched him particularly last week during the minicamp, and, I mean, Gardner Minshew had days where he was struggling mightily. And Anthony Richardson wasn't much better by any means. But, again, I didn't see this big gap between the two. And I think it's also worth mentioning, if there is a type of practice setting or a type of setting I guess at all this part of the offseason that Minshew should be better than Richardson it is right now when it is practice it is a red jersey you're not able to evaluate or properly really even run your entire playbook for Richardson because Richardson a big part of what he can do is his running ability well when you're in practice your quarterbacks were in red jerseys you don't run a whole lot of designed run plays. There are a couple that Richardson runs uh, from a daily practice setting that, that Minshew doesn't. But you would think, if anything, right here, right now, when it's basically all throwing, that is when Minshew would have this big-time separation on Richardson. And I didn't I didn't see that. Um, sure, is he a little bit more consistent? Um, that's definitely fair to say. But I think when you start factoring in the leg elements of Anthony Richardson's game, if they're close at all in practice, when it's primarily throwing the football, you throw Richardson out there week one and don't think twice about it. Okay, here's yesterday in the afternoon I was on with Brian No, who was filling in for JMV, and we were discussing this. And this is what I said yesterday. In this market, with this franchise, Kevin, we have precedent to be able to go back at looking at franchise quarterbacks. And by franchise quarterbacks, I mean, you know, sure, 
the Colts had a good quarterback in Jim Harbaugh. Sure, they made a trade one year for Craig Erickson that was thought to be the guy. They drafted Chris Chandler, who actually was a, a good quarterback at a young age. But those weren't guys that the, that you you know that you took way 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 high. There's precedent here of three number one overall picks as an Indianapolis Colt, not not counting John Elway and Burt Jones. I think might have been number two, but Jeff George in 1990. Jeff George in 1990 is almost you almost have to take that out because he was in the worst situation ever. The franchise was in total disarray. They traded their best receiver, best lineman to get him. You got Bob Ursay calling plays down from the press box, auctioning them off to people for, you know, drinks and a chicken wing. I mean, I mean, total mess. But Jeff George as a rookie was sacked 56 times. The running joke was that Jeff George was the only person in Indianapolis that knew exactly how many light bulbs were on the roof of the RCA Dome because he laid there and counted them all. Never got firm footing as a quarterback. And it wasn't until he went to Atlanta that he kind of hit his rhythm and hit his stride as a quarterback. But we're going to take that out because that situation was just so bizarre with everything going on with the franchise at the time. Peyton Manning is a rookie. Sacked 22 times. He threw a lot of interceptions, the most ever for a rookie quarterback in the NFL at the time. But you knew with Peyton Manning it was a little bit different because you knew from the pedigree, his father, his understanding, four-year player, tons of starts at Tennessee. Everybody knew that Peyton Manning was likely going to be a great player. And that what they did do for Peyton Manning is they kept him clean. You can... The biggest thing for a quarterback is you don't want the PTSD of the clock starting to run in their head all the time. And he was only sacked 22 times as a rookie. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck comes in. They have this... Every ball bounced their way. In Andrew Luck's case, they, like Peyton Manning, they were playing a schedule that was favorable in that rookie year, admittedly. But Luck was sacked 41 times, okay? decent amount of sacks his I mean I think we know his body took a lot of pressure a lot of and we saw what happened with that ultimately but in Luck's case obviously he was a a very good player right out of the box they didn't necessarily keep him clean but Luck is a big durable strong dude so is Richardson could be a benefit but Luck also out of Stanford tons of starts tons of experience lots of games under his belt and you know, the one thing you knew about him was that he was a guy that was like a, th- this football IQ guy. David Carr, Houston Texans. That's the one that I always go back to. Yeah, when we talked to John McClain in Houston, what did he say? He was like, look, David didn't work very hard. But David Carr was sacked 76 times as a rookie. And he never came back from it. With Anthony Richardson to me, Kevin... You have you you don't have the collegiate number of starts of an Andrew Luck or a Peyton Manning to know for certain that the trajectory is there, but you have the physical gifts of it. The biggest thing they need to do to me, the Colts end of the obligation should be we need to make sure that he is you know that that, that he understands the reads and the checkdowns, but most importantly, we've got to keep him clean. And I don't think that you hand him the keys 
You need to do two things. You need to hand him the keys once you know that he's able to read through a defense, and you need to hand him the keys once you know that you are going to be able to protect him. Gardner Minshew, if if the line is a carousel and a bunch of turnstiles, Gardner Minshew's got enough experience in the NFL to know kind of when to throw it away, to know when to take a dive, whatever it might be. And it, a, a young quarterback has got to learn those things. And I just feel like even though he is a, a physical specimen – you don't want to put him in position where the clock is then running in his head for the rest of his career. That, to me, is the number one priority. Yeah, I think Chris Bowers told us this offseason, Jake, what he thinks of the O-line and that it was all coaching. He thought it was all coaching issue. I mean, it's the same personnel that he's going to throw out there week one this year that ended last season. It's the same exact group. Depth-wise, not a ton has changed. Blake Freeland, a fourth-round pick, is your swing tackle. That's it. So I, I don't think, like... You've got three rookies starting on your offensive line, and you might be hesitant to play the guy week one, but maybe week 10 you're going to be ready. I mean, Quentin Nelson's been in the league for how long? Ryan Kelly's been in the league for how long? Braden Smith's been in the league for how long? Like, I I don't think you view this offensive line and think, oh my gosh, there's these growing pains and they have to gel together. Uh, That's true. Like, I, I just... Richardson, a thing that he did really well at Florida was his ability to avoid sacks. And I would say probably the one word that Chris Bowden and Shane Steichen came back to most often the night they drafted Anthony Richardson was poise. That when you watch him play quarterback and the pocket gets, bless you, the pocket gets awkward and muddy and starts to collapse around you, Richardson didn't panic. And I think one of the guy that has such a rare running trait like him, I... I I would assume that oftentimes when that stuff starts to happen, you do have a tendency to tuck it and to run it. But that wasn't always the case with Richardson. Is He would try and keep his eyes down the field, rely on his athletic ability, move in the pocket, be 6'4 and 240, and know that it's not easy to sack me, and try to make a play. And that is, I think, something that the Colts like to see. Um, I think another part of Richardson's rookie season, Jake, that's going to be really difficult when you bring up those past Colts quarterbacks, or even David Carr, there's no precedent for Richardson. I mean, when you look at it, and you look at guys that walked into the NFL with such a poor completion percentage. What was he, 53, 54 at Florida? I mean, you're talking, and these guys were probably closer to 60 than Richardson was, but you're talking Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, Jake Locker, and that's it. I mean, if you want to go back the last 10 to 15 years, those are the only first-round quarterbacks that had completion percentages under 60 entering the NFL. If you want to go to inexperience, it's Trey Lance of the world. It's a Mac Jones. It's a Kyler Murray. It's a Dwayne Haskins. um, Mark Sanchez. Mitchell Trubisky. That list is a little bit longer. It's not a great NFL list, if you want to be truly honest, of guys that had such inexperience in college projecting them to the NFL. But when you combine those two, the lack of accuracy, the lack of experience, I feel like we're going to have such a difficult time trying to use past precedent with Richardson of like, oh, Peyton Manning did this as a rookie. You know, Jeff George did this, or David Carr did this. To me, Richardson is almost off on his own little island with how rare he is physically and then especially how rare his college experience was of just a one-year starter and being a 53 percent passer by the way chris chandler sacked 18 21 times in two years 21 times in two years chris chandler was sacked when he first got here he was a good player but he wasn't you know he was a, a 
second round pick. But here is my one concern. Concerns may be the wrong word, but the thing I find fascinating about it. There are a lot of things to be optimistic and energetic and excited about when it comes to Anthony Richardson as a rookie quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. A lot. He's big. He's fast. He's seemingly mature, has the right attitude. Um, it, it seems seems aware of what's at his feet. The, the only area, if you were to assess Anthony Richardson as a quarterback prospect, the only area, the only box that isn't checked is how he played. He, he, he was drafted because he's big, he's fast, he can jump, he can throw the ball far. What he wasn't drafted for was anything that he has shown on a football field. You can grow into that, I get that, and it's worth a flyer. I, but he is somewhat of a flyer, admittedly. And and Yeah, there's no somewhat about it. He is a flyer. Yeah, and, and it's going to come down for a lot of people. For a lot of people in that organization, it's going to come down to that. I thought James Boyd, when he joined us last week, had a really good line about Richard in the spring. He always seemingly had the best throw of the day, but consistently he probably wasn't the best quarterback of the day. Again, I don't think the gap was wide enough to start Minshew. I thought the gap was much closer, and that's not necessarily to say Richardson overexceeded my expectations. It was that Minshew, I think, was just okay if that and you know to be fair they were dealing with a lot of personnel that that was watching from the sideline there but the question becomes can Richardson string a little bit more together again you don't need crazy consistency from him because he can flash the big play that you don't need methodical 12 play drives but if you can get a little bit more consistency continue to tap into the big plays, which he certainly showed in the spring, and that's not even with the running element alive and, and able to use like you'll use it this fall, then you've got something. The funny thing, the funny thing is Gardner Minshew is the one that looks like Uncle Rico, and Anthony Richardson's the one that's there because they feel like he can throw football over the mountains. Yeah. And run like Usain Bolt. <laughs> that's right. That, that helps too, right? Uh, Nate Atkins is going to join us on the other side. Again, uh, last week, I would say the majority... 8.30. 8.30. Thank you, Mark. Sorry about that. 8.30 for Nate Atkins coming up. Um, most of us were kind of in the Jonathan Taylor media scrum about his contract situation. Nate was over with Michael Pittman, which to me, that's going to be an interesting one to see play out. Um, so we'll chat about that coming up at 8.30 with Nate and continue a look at Thursday night with the Pacers and the draft coming up. Trey Jackson Davis, Jalen hood Shafino, where are they going to end up on Thursday night? Uh, we'll do that on the other side. Kevin Acquire here, 93.5, The Fan. Six weeks away from the start of training camp. We should have an official training camp schedule in the next week or so. Again, kind of targeting July 25th, right around that time for things to begin at... Grand Park to put a bow on the spring offseason program to help us out with that. Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star is going to join us here in just a second. A little bit of phone Adam and lost here. Um, again, Nate, last week, so much of us kind of scrumming around Jonathan Taylor around that contract talks with him. And I know Nate was catching up with Michael Pittman. So I uh, wanted to begin there with Nate. Nate, good morning. Thanks for the time. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. And, uh, uh, you know, as we still talk Colts, they're out for the summer, but we're 
still hanging on and thinking about them for some reason, I guess. Well, you never know with these contract talks when things could kind of ramp up and how I think these conversations go. Really fascinating, not only here in our market, but I think league-wide. Nate, we were talking earlier in the show, so much of us were around Jonathan Taylor last week with his rare kind of opening up a little bit more on his contract situation. I know you caught up with Michael Pittman um, care to share anything on, on that front on how you think things could play out with Pittman as he currently is dealing with a hip injury heading into his contract year? Yeah, it was interesting to, to catch up a little bit with him the same day that, that Taylor kind of made those comments. Like you mentioned, we don't ever really see that out of Jonathan, but it was kind of cool and refreshing to see him show that side of, of what he was thinking and where he's trying to go. And I think it just really sums up how different their perspective is on free agency just with what their careers have been so far what their positions are what the markets are for those positions I mean you've got Jonathan Taylor there it felt like he was really speaking on behalf of the running back market the running back position and just the way that this is going where teams are finding ways to just sort of maximize the rookie deal and stretch it out and then kind of run their mileage up and throw them into free agency so Jonathan is a guy who like like almost all running backs, it seems, really wants the security, wants the deal like now to happen right now. In fact, it's probably not moving quite as fast as his camp would like. Uh, that's just kind of how kind of how that goes, that position. And you hear from Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and those guys too. Michael Pittman Jr., I don't, I don't sense I, – well, I sense he's just really excited to have a contract here and to be able to have a new sort of chance at this where, you know, last year was – a year when a lot of us thought he would take that step forward uh, from a thousand yard season, his second year to last year when you just thought we, we thought they would have a little better quarterback play and just that, that that was his time to step forward as the number one receiver. And of course, last year was just so chaotic and he didn't play as well as he wanted to. But then the whole passing game was was broken. So I think he knows that he really believes that he has his best football still out there. Uh, for this upcoming season, I, I think he's excited to really show everybody kind of what he can actually do, what his ceiling is. And that's what's different between him and Jonathan Taylor. Is Jonathan's had that year already. He had the year leading the league in rushing and by 500 yards and kind of every single metric you can look to. So his camp's able to say, like, this is how good it can be uh, when you kind of give us the right environment and when, when you can hit that ceiling. For Michael Pittman, he doesn't have that to point to yet. Just 1,000-yard season, and I remember talking to him right after that season ended, uh, 2021, and he he felt like it was a disappointment, that it did not live up to a lot of the goals he had set for himself for that year, Uh, things like All-Pro. I think at that year, he he writes out all his goals, as you know, Kevin, and he he laminates them. And that year, he had, I think his, I believe his goal was 1,300 yards, and he had 1,000 yards. So he has not reached uh, some levels that he thinks he's capable of. And I think he's, he's just excited to have a chance this year to pair up with Anthony Richardson when, when he becomes a starter. And even though it's going to be a challenge with a rookie, just the idea of having the same quarterback for, you know, you would hope up to 17 games or at least a high number of games and be able to build that chemistry and then kind of be his, his number one receiver. That's what Pittman ultimately wants to be and ultimately wants to show uh, the Colts and the rest of the NFL. So I don't think he's in any rush to, to try to sign, whereas I think Jonathan Taylor is much more in a rush. You know what's interesting that I don't know that we've discussed? 
to give it, I guess, perspective as the Colts and Jonathan Taylor move forward in a contract situation here. If the Colts were to not re-sign him and let him walk, or if they were to decide, I don't think this would be the case, but if they were to decide, like, we're going to trade him, what's the market for him? What is somebody else, do you think, willing to pay? Maybe we're going to find that out with Dalvin Cook here, right? But, like, you know, we, we he's a wonderful talent. There is no doubt about it. But at the same time, if the Colts don't give him big-time money, is somebody out there going to? Yeah, that's a really legit question, and I, I would ha- would have had a different answer before Dalvin Cook got cut. But now you have an option out there like like him who's, who's waiting around and, and asked a lot of the same exact questions. And really two kind of similar players, the difference being that obviously Cook's a little bit older, a little bit more mileage, but two players who've shown just outstanding rushing ability, maybe not quite the same level of dominant third down play which very few of them show, but the couple that have gotten paid the most, uh, Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey, are great third-down players. Those are the guys making $15 million or more, the type of player, type of you know three-down players that it gets harder and harder to say, we'll go to the draft and just find the next guy to do that. But when you get down to guys who you know, are electric, you know, specifically as runners, you know that is where teams, I think, start thinking a little bit more about just what they can control, you know, with their offensive line, their their scheme, their approach, uh, you know, and, and how much is is it worth to pay that? Uh, you know, I think that with Jonathan, it's you know, it's it's just interesting that like the the fit's so important. So it's like, you know, if you were to hit the open market, I don't know if it's it it could be a matter where there's a team that just feels like it's closer to the doorstep of a championship. That that's the kind of finishing touch where you need a running back to kind of elevate you above that. Maybe the Colts, maybe that's the difference that they don't quite look at it with that urgency, you know, but on the flip side, you know, maybe he's a better fit for a team, you know, with an Anthony Richardson where you need to be able to lean on somebody else on the offense to sort of, sort of get drives going and, and create explosive plays. That's not your quarterback. You know, I think about when, or you even just give a pace to the offense and take a lot of the pounding away from the quarterback. I think about when Dak Prescott stepped in as a rookie for the Cowboys. That's what worked out so well for him was having Zeke Elliott as a bell cow back. I think it really kind of eased him in and let him let them kind of grow that offense gradually around Dak rather than have him drag the whole operation from day one. So if Jonathan was out there on the open market, I mean, normally I would say he's worth kind of what the Nick Chubb contract is, which is. Twelve point two million over three years. That's that's been the model that I thought fit Jonathan with with how similar those two backs are and where the market's been. But right now we have just such a frozen situation with you know whether it's Saquon Barkley or, or Josh Jacobs not you know not wanting to sign franchise tags to Dalvin getting released. You just don't have the very recent uh, running back contract that's been handed out that they can that you feel like is going to break the ice. And so I don't know if Jonathan just falls into that mix of, of guys waiting and, and waiting and waiting and waiting, or, you know, if this is a situation where the Colts just decide, you know what, you know, we know what we have in, in this guy and, and we don't have that many players right now that we're looking to go out and extend and build around when they have money with a rookie quarterback. So uh, it, it is a fascinating conversation though. Alongside Joel A. Erickson, he is Nate Atkins. They do a great job covering the Colts 
for the Indianapolis Star. Again, Nate with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Nate, last one for me on, on, on the Taylor-Pittman contract situations. Obviously, the guaranteed money for Jonathan Taylor is going to be the one to really, really look at. If you put that number to the side, do you think Taylor cares more about the length of the contract or the annual value on the contract? A good question. You know, I, last week was the first time he really got into any of that. So it's it, we're kind of judging on a small sample of kind of one interview where I feel like he's he's really opened the window into kind of what he's thinking on that. I mean, he talks about um, it, yeah, it's interesting. He talks about finding the value and what he what he brings as a player and what he thinks that brings to the team. That does strike me as, as someone who is concerned with the annual value, is that that's literally kind of what he's talking about. It's sort of like the investment, the, the, the amount that they can recognize, like you bring this to our team and we're going to compensate it rightly. So I think that, that is probably a little bit more in his head where you know everyone wants a, you know, a longer deal. And, and the guarantees you mentioned are more what they'll look at is how much of the deal does it feel like. You know, do you feel like you have two years – you know, just about guaranteed or you're going to get that money. Um, from there, it's like sometimes there's an onus on the player to, you know, to find his best ways to, to take care of his body and, and extend his career out, which Jonathan thinks about all the time, probably more than anything else, is ways to, to manage his body and, uh, and extend that life. And then, of course, I think for him, if he's, you know, really a lot of these backs, the way they feel is that if they can get a multi-year deal where, you have teams that are that are having to think about beyond this season, two, three years, what this player is going to look like because they're tied in guarantees uh, to that year of the player. That's where I think you reach a healthier conversation where uh, you know where the team's looking at things like how many carries do they give you know Jonathan Taylor versus another back versus Anthony Richardson versus you know how often do you get him the ball in the perimeter? How many how many you know how many of those are passes that are a little. Uh, less of a pounding on a back when they're invested beyond just this upcoming year. What they're not going to do is just run up the mileage till he's in the ground, and so it kind of becomes this shared responsibility between uh, the back and the team to try and manage this as best as possible so it ages well. That's where I thought Nick Chubb and the Browns got in a pretty good way is they they signed that deal, but they also signed Kareem Hunt, and they built it to where they wanted Nick Chubb to last really, really well for the three years that they extended him for. Uh, I think that kind of a mix, though, where it's it's not maybe the longest number of years, but it's enough uh, spread out and guaranteed and high enough rate to where both sides really want to keep this together. That, to me, has felt like the best middle ground for Jonathan. Nate, let me ask you this before we let you go. Nate Atkins, our guest, he's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. It's like my daily question, admittedly. Uh, when are we going to get any sort of an answer, explanation, elaboration uh, on Isaiah Rogers and that whole situation? Yeah, I've been curious about that too because you know the that report initially came out, and that was that was honestly before the Colts really knew a lot about the situation on their end. So it's, it's still pretty early in the process. They're all still figuring things out. Um, so I think it's, I, I have no idea how to handicap when it's actually going to wrap up, but I did get the sense when I was looking into it uh, just a few days ago that it was not, you know, it wasn't like it was about to get, to get, you know, solved because there are other players that they're going to look at throughout the league. This is a league wide investigation. It's not like, 
Uh, it's not like the Colts are. It's just them looking into one player and figuring out what they want to do with it. It's the league's going to look across at all at different players that they're investigating, different players that end up needing punishment. Some guys you may have not heard of yet throughout the league, and they're going to kind of try to come up with a plan where the punishments make sense. So the punishment for Isaiah has got to align with, you know, punishment for another player based on, you know, the levels of gambling that they did or didn't do and you know and and making it so ultimately they're trying to send a message here where this stuff is still pretty new it's gambling is new and that's why i think some players are getting in trouble with it uh like jameson williams got in trouble with the lions for you know just placing a bet on a different sport but doing it from a, a team facility it's it's trying to make some of these guidelines clear and also make it clear that you know there are different levels of punishment based on kind of how rampant the use is so uh, I have no idea when that will come down with Isaiah. It could be soon. It could be way out. Uh, but it's it's one of those that I think they're going to take really take their time on because it's sort of like on that topic of gambling. It's sort of like a bit of an inflection point for the league of you know this is going to be one of the ways where they really outline like what's permissible, what's not, and just how severe the punishments are. And that's where I think there's a chance if Isaiah. You know, if he if he did as much as Ben's alleged alleged out there that you know would uh, Sports Handle had that he was and ESPN had this too that he was placing up to you know up to a hundred bets uh, and if that involves NFL games you know this is what they have to work through but that's where I think they really are going to try and come up with the most logical punishment that dissuades other players from even going down this road. So but I can't it, it recall may take a little bit of time. Pardon my naivete here, I, I, because I can't recall has the NFL confirmed have they issued statement to confirm that this invested or are we simply going off of an initial report that then was followed up and isaiah rogers himself confirming that he was involved but yet nobody else has said anything am i correct there yes that's how i understand it Uh, the nfl i don't think this would have come out in that like i don't think the nfl is going to release that he was part of investigation because the other ones that, that they've handled, it just the punishment just came down. Like with the Lions, uh, several of the Lions players, when that happened, it just it just came out what their punishment was. And I think it was that day or, or the day after that the Lions made moves on a couple of those players and cut them. So that's how the NFL wants to do it, where they just kind of swiftly move and drop the hammer and say, this happened and this is the punishment. Uh, but, you know, it just happened to come out through, you know, through a report by Sports Handle, and then so much noise was out there that Isaiah ended up, you know, putting a statement out that, and he didn't admit to all of it, so we don't know what the levels are. But he he did indicate that that you know he he talked about making errors in judgment, and uh, he's that that's kind of what we've been going off so far. Nate, last one for me, and Nate Atkins with the Star um, covers the Colts with us here on the Payless Stickers Hotline. You know, when you exit the spring, I. I I feel like a, a takeaway I had quarterback-wise, and let's throw in the caveats of it's a spring, the sample size is small, they were missing a lot of their notable personnel from a pass-catching standpoint, but I didn't see some massive gap from Gardner Minshew to Anthony Richardson. And that's not to say Anthony Richardson set the world on fire. It's probably more that Gardner Minshew didn't set the world on fire. Um, and I also feel like if there's a time where you should see a big gap between the two, I would assume it would be in the early days of Anthony Richardson being involved in NFL practices and at a time where you know quarterbacks that run practices are not a great setting for them because they wear red jerseys there's not a whole lot of design runs you can't really blow you know plays dead you don't take them to the ground things like that so 
given that, am I reading too much into it? But I, I, I just exit the spring, Nate, saying, like, I don't see this huge gap. Therefore, I, I continue to think that or I believe that Anthony Richardson should be the starter week one. Yeah, I think that's how it's played out to me is that, you know, there are moments where they both have their edge right now, which is just the one that makes sense. Gardner knows the playbook so well. He's played for Shane Stackett for two years. And so a lot of other players have talked about how he kind of brings everyone up to speed. And then sometimes they feel like he's moving too fast. They have to slow it down for everybody else. So part of it, I you know, there's a little bit of it that I think Gardner's been limited by uh, so when you're talking about the guys in and out, it's an incredibly young passing game. But then you also have, like, Michael Pittman Jr. is by far the most experienced and just about the oldest, and he hasn't been out there. So when you work with the first team, you know, there has been a few limitations there. What Gardner doesn't, you know, is, so he's incredibly operational. He, he looks smoother. He makes some of the better decisions that I think just sort of like post-snap decisions that Anthony has so far. But... You know, you don't see you don't see the flashes of upside as much uh, with him. You know, he's he's he takes a lot of the, the smart and safe plays, and he runs the play as it's designed, and um, and does that pretty well. Anthony kind of makes up ground when he does have those moments of launching a ball, you know, sixty yards in the air and, and hitting a guy in stride, as he did a couple times there. Uh, you know, we we see moments where Anthony, you know, even though it's, like you said, it's incredibly limited for evaluation, but there are moments when he stops in the pocket and kind of launches his body weight from one platform to another and either throws the ball away or takes off down the field. And so you have these flashes where you could see that being exciting in a game in ways that Gardner doesn't flash on individual plays. So I do think they just have their strengths and weaknesses based on, on where they're coming from. It's the mix between you know the athletic upside and that potential of Richardson and just the uh, the ability to call a game right now for Gardner Minshew. So I still feel like if you know if they had to play a game next week, uh, Gardner's got to be the starter because because it is so new for Anthony. But obviously that's not where they're at. They're going to have training camp preseason to build up to it, and it's still in a place where I I still think there's a pretty good chance we could see Anthony as early as week one because if he catches up on enough of this to where they feel like they at least can call a lot of the plays. And they feel like you know, you know, the offense is as caught up to him as they are to Anthony when, or to, to Gardner when they, you know, those guys have been in and out already. Uh, you know, that's why I think they may just realize, you know, this kid's going to get better by playing. These guys are going to get better with him by playing with him. And I think they want to get that going as soon as they can. Beautiful birds chirping in the background there. Nate. It's a nice ambiance there. But <laughs> he's at, like he's at Augusta. I was going to say. And it makes it sound like I'm out in nature. So yeah. uh, hopefully that adds a little something to my wisdom. Waiting for Jim Nance to drop a hello friends <laughs> on us here on this Tuesday morning. Nate, enjoy the quiet time. Hopefully somewhat quiet between now and July 25th or so. And uh, we'll certainly catch up with you uh, before training camp starts in Grand Park. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to push the pop quiz to the end of the show today because right now on the Payless Lickers Hotline to talk more about Thursday's NBA draft. As his Twitter profile says, he is not Kyrie Irving. He is Kyle Irving from the Sporting News, and he joins us here on Tuesday morning. Good morning, Kyle. 
Morning, guys. I appreciate you clearing that up right and early. Yes, yeah, good to get that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to be associated with that. Um, so I'm glad that we were able to get that out of the way. Uh, what's the dumbest NBA draft take you've heard here over the last few months? <laughs> Actually, yesterday I read something that said uh, the Hornets are leading towards Brandon Miller, but we have no idea where the intel came from, and no one can find like where it ap- appeared on the rumor mill. Um, and when I read that, I was like, that just, I, I read something and didn't learn anything whatsoever. <laughs> what would you do it to if uh, the new ownership group decided to hire you and said, all right, uh, you make the pick that's going to largely shape our franchise for the next decade? I mean, I would actually take Scoot Henderson. I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's the second best prospect in this class. I just think he works so hard. Um, basketball is the most important thing in his life, and he is going to work his butt off until he is one of the best point guards in the NBA. Uh, so even with some of the shortcomings that he has, I really believe that he's going to be the second-best player in this class. And is it safe to say, if that were the case, Kyle, that Brandon Miller does not fall further from third, right? Yeah, Brandon Miller seems like a, a top-three pick no matter what. Him and Scoot Henderson are both still jockeying for that number-two spot with the Hornets, it seems like. But, um, you know, he's an incredible talent as well. He just has – for me, he has to develop a little bit more as an on-ball creator. Um, he does a lot of his damage just catch-and-shoot. Uh, he still has to work on his handle, but you know he's the type of versatile wing that you can't really pass on him outside the top three. So tell me if this is a, a fair assessment, Kyle. You have probably franchise level players in the top three of the three that the two that we just mentioned, and then obviously Webmyama, and then from like four to probably twelve to thirteen, you have guys that seemingly are going to be good pieces that you can plug in in different places over the course of time and then from about 14 on it's i'm not going to say flyers but a lot less certainty and that this is a draft that doesn't necessarily have long-haul depth am i within the range of accurate yeah that's i would say that's within the range of accurate the thing that i like a lot about this draft class compared to other draft classes that i've covered is that you know, everybody has different opinions on the prospects in that, like, 4 to 14 range, um, you know, just in terms of how they project and can they be stars, can they be complementary role players. Um, and I, I kind of feel like there are some players that are, like, one tool away from being able to, you know, get to that next level of, okay, maybe he's a, a solid starter, but if he, you know, refines this one area, then he he become an all-star. Um, and then when you get into that later first round range, I think there's actually a lot of talented upperclassmen who are kind of ready to make an impact on winning teams in that range, like anywhere from 25 to say 35. Um, but again, like, you know, there's a lot of guys in this class where it's like, all right, they have one real big swing skill and if they can figure it out, then maybe they can get to that next level. Okay. More likely Jalen Hood, Shafino sneaks his way into the late lottery or Trace Jackson Davis falls out of round one and falls into the mid-30s? I like the idea of Jalen Hood-Shafino sneaking into the late lottery. Um, The Raptors are a team that I've had him mocked to uh, in every mock draft that I've done pretty much. And they actually just, their new head coach that they just hired is like a basketball savant on the pick and roll. And I just feel like that would be a fantastic fit for Jalen Hood-Shafino, especially if Fred VanVleet's not going to re-sign there. So I actually really like his odds of potentially ending up in Toronto at 13. Okay, Trace Jackson-Davis, you see him where? Trace Jackson Davis, I actually like him going to Indiana, like at the end of the first round. I mean, I just feel like that they could use an intelligent small ball five there. I mean, I don't know. They're, they're probably not going to use all five of their picks, but if they do decide to hold on to one of those late first rounders, I don't, I don't mind the idea of Trace Jackson Davis staying home in Indiana and playing that small ball back at five role. 
Interesting. Boy, that would be quite the talk show for us come Friday morning. So uh, thank you for that, Kyle, if that does come to fruition. Again, Kyle Irving is with us here from the Sporting News, covers the NBA draft. Um, Kyle, I've said for the last few weeks right now, if you look at the Pacers at 7, I would be totally content on Friday morning if the Pacers took Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks. What do you like? What do you not like about those two? I'm sorry, did you say you would, you would be upset or wouldn't be upset? I would be content. I, I, I would be oh, a fan of either Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks in a Pacers uniform. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, uh, Jairus Walker, um, Taylor Hendricks, and, I mean, Cam Whitmore, if he can fall there, those are the three guys that if they fall to number seven, Indiana takes them without blinking. Um, I'm a huge fan of Jairus Walker. I think he's the most versatile defender in this draft class. He's a freak athlete, uh, super powerful down low. He's someone that has some playmaking touch, can step outside, knock down the three. Um, you know, I, I just really like what he brings to a defense. He was really the anchor of that Houston defense this past season. That was one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. Um, Taylor Hendricks is someone who, you know, he kind of came on a little bit late in the draft process, but it's, it's, it's impossible to ignore the tools that he has. Six foot nine, seven foot wingspan. He shot almost 40% from three point range. Uh, you know, he's that typical kind of stretch four, three and D big man that, you know, everybody's looking for in today's NBA. Um, I, I don't think it would be a reach at all if Indiana took him at seven. He's the type of player that fits perfectly in today's NBA. And, you know, it kind of surprised me that he's dropping, you know, even outside like the top 10 in some of these uh, mock drafts that I'm seeing. You've mentioned, or you, you mentioned to us, Trace Jackson Davis in that range of 26, 29, 32. Again, the Pacers have those three picks, 26 and 29 fall in round one. 32 is that early round two. Obviously, the Andrew Nemhard pick last year was outstanding in that range. I know that's not a given on an annual basis, but who are some other names in that late first, early second that Pacers fans should keep an eye on? Uh, in t- around 26 right now, I have Brandon Poshemsky, who is a huge riser from the NBA Draft Combine uh, out of Santa Clara. Just a very savvy playmaker. Uh, shot 40% from three-point range. Could be a catch-and-shoot guy, but also kind of a secondary creator um, that I kind of like for Indiana to add to their backcourt there. Um, another player that I'm keeping an eye on is Dukes Dariq Whitehead. He's someone that he just, I mean, he was one of the best prospects coming into college basketball. Some people had him as the first college player taken off the board this year before he suffered a foot injury and then he suffered a knee injury and then he had another foot injury and he just had a second foot surgery going through the draft process. But like the talent is clearly there. He's a freak. He's another one, very good athlete. You know, he knocked down a lot of his threes this past season. He's kind of, kind of a three and D wing who I think that if he, you know, because of those surgeries, he could fall a little bit later, but teams that are willing to be patient can kind of strike gold with him late in the lottery. Um, Another player that I really liked, he was another, uh, you know, budding prospect at the NBA Draft Combine is Olivier Maxence Prosper uh, out of Marquette. He's kind of more of an upperclassman. He's a junior who's really worked on his game, but he fits that mold of, like, you know, just a long, rangy wing, can defend multiple positions. He works his ass off on every possession, uh, high motor. Um, He's an improving three-point shooter. Um, so, you know, he's someone who I, I also like the Pacers. If they're looking to go a little bit older and try and get this rotation, uh, you know, to form faster, uh, he's someone that I like at the back end of the first round as well. So where do you think, when you look at it, Kyle, Kyle Irving's our guest from Sporting News. He's on the Payless Sickers hotline. Every draft, no matter what sport it is, every draft has that one franchise that all of a sudden goes rogue and it throws everything into a tizzy in terms of like whoa that this just took a totally different direction because no one expected that player to go there that would be either what player or what era or, or what area of the draft that it could happen this year 
I actually think it could happen as early as two. I mean, you know, so I think a lot of the Zion Williamson rumors are just kind of smoke screens. But, you know, I mean, it seems like the Pelicans really are uh, determined to get into the top two and try and draft Scoot Henderson. Whether that means they part ways with Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram, I don't know if they would actually do either of those things. But I think it, it could the chaos could start as early as two, but uh, as late as number three, the pick right after that. Just because, you know, it doesn't really seem like the, the Portland Trailblazers are – determined to pick, uh, make a pick at number three. It seems like as of right now, they still want to try and build around Damian Lillard and keep their superstar happy. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're listening to calls and seeing, you know, okay, who are some of the best rotation players out there that we could put around Dame and just ship out this number three pick that we don't even really want if we're going to try and keep him happy. So, you know, I think that after number one, Victor Wembanyama goes, I think that the chaos can commence as soon as number two or three right after that. Kyle, am I seeing this right in your Twitter profile? And it's Kyle Irv, I-R-V, underscore. Uh, you do some content for NBA Canada? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. that's actually part of our affiliation over at the Sporting News. Gotcha. So, I, I you know, I have a man crush, full transparency on Benedict Matherin. Uh, I- any sort of Benedict Matherin thoughts from what you saw from him during his rookie season here? I know we brought up Nemhard earlier, another Canadian, but uh, any Matherin thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Benedict Matherin as well. I thought he was one of the most competitive players in the draft last year. Uh, and, you know, I had, I had the privilege of speaking to him at the lottery. And just all the things that he was saying just made me, you know, even more convinced that he was going to be the player that he ended up being during his rookie year. I think he's still, you know, growing as a prospect on the defensive end. I think he's going to eventually work in, you know, some uh, heightened playmaking ability. Uh, he's not just going to be such a straight-line scorer the way that he was this past year, but you know, I was extremely impressed with the way that he started the season uh, in Indiana this past year, and I think that you know the ceiling is uh, still higher than what we've seen for Benedict Matherin for sure. You know what? You got to be huge in Canada because there's also a Kyle Irving that's the co-owner of one of Canada's largest production companies, Indigenous-owned Eagle Vision. Did you know that? No, I did not, man. I cannot. I can't even get my own SEO right. I, people are going to be looking me up and finding out <laughs> stuff like that, or did you mean Kyrie Irving? It's pretty awesome, <laughs> Kyle. Great, great stuff, man. Really, uh, really enjoy catching up with you. I know it's going to be a busy Thursday into Friday for you, so appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, of course. Anytime, guys. Thank you.